This is Sheila James of Sheila Speaks, and welcome to our podcast today. Wow, you know, we have a very exciting conversation to create with you today, and uh, I'm going to be speaking to what we're engaged with right here, right now, in the United States of America and in the world. Today, the conversation is wake up and smell the country. Wake up. And it seems like the country, the world from New Zealand, Tokyo, Japan, to California, Minneapolis, Atlanta, Germany, the world is awake. The world is present. People are present. And while it's been a very difficult and challenging time, to a large degree, it's a very exciting time, and it's a very uh, controversial time, and it's a very much so life-altering time. And, you know, the opportunity is for us, particularly in the United States of America, to make that change, to cause a transformation to have a metamorphosis, to deal with what and where we have stepped over things for hundreds of years, and to deal with it now, to deal with it decisively, and to deal with it because our lives depend on it, all of our lives. Our future depends on it. For our young people, it depends on us waking up, smelling the country, not stepping over anything, and dealing with what we need to deal with. On May 25th, 2020, between 8 p.m. and 9.30, the life of George Floyd was cut short and ended. We've seen it. Well, it took me about four times to get through the entire almost nine minutes of a United States police officer, really, and this is the way I see it. So you got to listen to this conversation from the way you see it. Killing another human being who was handcuffed in cold blood, as Truman Capote said. It was in cold blood, it was live, it was recorded, and the world saw it. And, you know, my condolences to their family, really, my, my heart just sank, because I, too, have a son. And um, so my condolences there, and at the same time, it changed the world. Now, there was already a culmination of things that had transpired in the United States regarding police and police brutality that led up to this event. And that was Breonna Taylor, whose life was taken March 13, 2020, Ahmaud Aubrey, February 23, 2020. And we know of cases, at least I do, that go all the way back to Rodney King, Trayvon Martin, to name a few which I believe some of those cases need to be reopened 
and dealt with. But right now, there's become an intolerance in the world for this kind of behavior. And the ugly virus of racism has raised its head in America and has gotten seen and heard. I know my 22-year-old son the other night came in and said, Mom, can we talk for a few minutes? I said, sure. And he said to me, Mom, I feel like this is the first time we've been heard. And I'm so happy that other people hear us now. Mom, people all over the world, I'm, I'm just so happy. And I said, I'm happy too. And we went on to carry on a pretty lengthy conversation about everything. And I mostly listened because one of the things our young people say often, and it's true, we should just tell the truth about it, is that we don't listen because we know everything and we don't know everything. Sometimes you have to be quiet. Sometimes you have to listen. And I just really listened and got his concerns and got his experience and um, it was it was really awesome. Okay, so with Brianna Taylor, there was a no-knock warrant at that address, and no narcotics were in the apartment. Police say Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, fired first, wounding an officer. Well, he thought someone was breaking into the home and acted in self-defense. Brianna was shot eight times. Walker called 911 stating somebody kicked in the door and shot my girlfriend. So police say they knocked and announced themselves, even though they had a no-knock warrant, neighbors dispute this. So we lost Bri Brianna Taylor. And then George Floyd, 46 years old, born in North Carolina, raised in Houston. He was in Minneapolis. He has two daughters and a son. Two daughters and a son. The officer in the video with his knee on uh, George Floyd's neck, Derek Chauvin, 44, knelt on his neck for about nine minutes. So Derek Chauvin had 18 complaints on his record, two of which resulted in discipline, including official letters of reprimand. As the world watched around 8.20 p.m., Floyd's face was down on the ground. He said 16 times in five minutes that he couldn't breathe. Please, 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 man, I'm about to die. Please, the knee in my neck, I can't breathe. At 8.22, officers called for an ambulance. He then said, my stomach hurts, and we all heard it. My neck hurts. Everything hurts. Don't kill me. Can I have some water? Thayo stated, one of the police officers, he's fine. This is why you don't do drugs, kids. He's making snide remarks. At 825, Floyd appears unconscious. The officers did not even attempt to provide medical treatment.
After that, the ambulance arrives. Chauvin kept his knee on Floyd's neck for almost a minute after the EMTs arrived, despite him being unresponsive. So, um, you know, he was pronounced dead at 9.25 p.m. in the emergency room. And in that moment, in those eight and a half to nine minutes, history was forever changed. America was forever changed. Forever. Forever. Life as we know it has changed. It is time for a rebirth of America, a healing in America, a reconciliation in America. These events have changed the course of history. This is, I assert, the genesis of the transformation of America. This is the opportunity to deal with the pink elephant that's been in the room for hundreds and really thousands of years. While I'm not going to get way into it, America was fundamentally built on a lie. From who discovered it, which we all know was not Columbus, to the Native Americans, to the slaves who built this country, who built this country. And part of what we've got to deal with, that we've stepped over, is getting that acknowledged and complete. Not dealt with like, oh, you got to deal with this, and we got to deal with it. We got to deal with a lot. America was built on a lie. Our history books are not accurate. The United States history, the way it's taught in school, I read a post on Facebook, and I quote, Hey, white people, anyone else have any idea about this? I sure didn't. This is the stuff that I could read and share about all day. Feel free to tag me in any and all informational posts about the history of America and we didn't read about in history class. I'm certainly not willfully ignorant, I just don't even know what questions to start asking. This was on Facebook. Because the history books, the United States history books that we read in the classroom are inaccurate. They are not up to date. They're not in use because it's not the truth. It's not the truth of the United States history. And it's not usable. It's not usable information. And this is just one person who's pointing to it. Black history is far beyond Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King Jr., and George Washington Carver. And there are a few more that we recognize. And we're not educating our children properly. The United States of America history books need to be rewritten. And I know some of you are saying, well, what does that have to do with now? Well, you're not educated. And unfortunately, some of us and our children are not educated. And if you don't know who you are, you don't know whose you are.
This is, I'm like, this is about the transformation of America. And here's the other part of it. We don't have an open, honest, authentic account of our history. I watch a lot of documentaries and, and, and National Geographic. I love those kinds of historical things and educational things. And I watch the food that built America and the men who built America and the frontiersmen who built America. And, and maybe this is our challenge, if you're listening, Spike Lee or any of you guys. You know, um, the slaves who built America, hello, we were bought here to build this land. And that we did with all kinds of inventions. If there was food being created, including Coca-Cola, you know, from the coca plant, a black woman was putting that concoction together. They were in the kitchen. Miss Ann was not in the kitchen, other than giving orders. I know I digressed a little bit there, but it's okay. That was great, because that is what people think. But everything that is made, the foods, you know, the contributions we are, the contributions we are, we are and have been and continue to be with the building and the, of this country, with the expansion of this country, is not really acknowledged. And there's no one, unless you're an executive at our big corporations, from General Electric to Coca-Cola to Nabisco, when I speak about the transformation of America, it's a dramatic change. Not just, a, it's dramatic. A metamorphosis as to a caterpillar and a butterfly. It's an evolution of something new. The shift that's required in this country includes police brutality. By the way, there are some great police in the world. I quite frankly appreciate the policemen, police women particularly if I'm in trouble or afraid or something has happened. So we don't want to condemn everyone. And as a body, there's been an overall lack of integrity in the way in which police have operated and have been allowed to operate in this country with no consequences. And that is what must end. Out of 100 killings by police between 2013 and 2019, only four officers were charged and only one was convicted. That does not work. And what we saw on TV, if you can't tell, I am a black person in America. That's not new news to us. It may be new news to you, and it was for sure new news to the world. So for us, we can be responsible for maybe we gave up. Maybe we're just resigned to the way things are. However, we tolerated it for years. We're not tolerating that anymore. And it seems as if we've got partners who are unwilling to tolerate that behavior in America anymore. We've got to bring that same kind of force to the economics. It's time to end poverty in America so that we can really make a difference in the entire world that we're capable of making. This whole, the disenfranchised, keeping that in place, it doesn't work for us, it doesn't work for you, 
We've got to engage and participate in new ways and in partnership and in dialogue and in communication. We have got to wake up and smell the country. And we're all in this together. We've got to rewrite the history books and tell the truth, the whole truth. We've got to educate our children, black children, white children, Jews, Gentiles, Protestants, and Catholics, as Dr. King would say, all races and creeds. But we've got to now do the right thing. We've got to do the thing that's going to embrace and celebrate humanity. I have a good friend of mine who always says, one race, the human race. No subtitles, please. So one of the things that we found in creating today's conversation was uh, 8can'twait.org. It's a website. And on this website, they have data or data that proves that together these eight policies can decrease police violence by 72%. That's a big decrease. And while we want to get that decrease to 0%, right now it's 72%. It would decrease it. That's one. Ban chokeholds and strangleholds. Two, require de-escalation. Three, require warning before shooting. Four, exhaust all other means before shooting. Five, duty to intervene. Six, ban shooting at moving vehicles. Seven, require use of force continuum. This specifies the types of force that allowed as a response to particular types of threat, such as you respond differently to a domestic abuse call versus an armed robbery versus a counterfeit money accusation. And eight, require comprehensive reporting. In this data, in 8 Can't Wait, and you can find the website, 8can'twait.org, in Atlanta, uh, there were two of these eight policies implemented, ban chokeholds and strangleholds, and require use of force continuum. Only those two. In Minneapolis, they require de-escalation, require warning, before shooting, duty to intervene, three of the eight. So they, now again, remember, they're saying that the reduction of police brutality could go as high as 72% if all eight of these were implemented. All right, in Los Angeles, ban chokeholds and strangleholds, require de escalation, duty to intervene ban shooting at moving vehicles, require use of force continuum. So, you know, we can see we've got work to do in this area, and we picked those three areas to look at today. So with 8can'twait.org, this is also something you can look at. And, you know, this is a voting year. It's time to vote. It's time to complete your census. It's time to vote. If you want to be counted in America, if you want to be accounted for in America, you must complete your census as well. So I dealt with that in another conversation, but voting and your census is critical. Passing legislation. You know, these are this is some place you can look when you start to ask, what can we do? So there's got to be educational reform. 
you historians, there are enough qualified, capable historians to get the United States history book told, like really in a way that's going to empower our youth, that's going to spring forth citizenship, which is another area. Developing our children and our youth and young adults and citizenship and civics. All of it. It's all of it with nothing and no one left out. Nothing and no one. No contribution left out, including the great contribution that we have had on American society and American life and the world. You know, as I said earlier, this is going to require a transformation. This is going to require a new future. A new future. This is going to require reform. Reform where? In the justice system. Oh, that's another big thing. We've got to look at the entire justice system. So there's what we're dealing with, with what happened to George Floyd and police brutality. And, you know, there are other areas. While we won't get into them now, these are areas of consideration as we vote, as we mobilize, as we galvanize ourselves. And that is, you know, one of the things that we do in this country, and I think it's a very unconscious behavior and sin, is charging young people as adults. I don't know about you, but I don't know any 9, 10, or 11-year-old that belongs in jail for anything that they do with an adult, with a grown man or another grown woman. There are a lot of things that we're doing that we need to rethink. There are a lot of men, women, and children in jail. Some cases that need to be reviewed. I don't know about all of them. I don't know enough. I don't have enough in front of me. But in the criminal justice system, reform there. Reform in education and salaries paid to teachers. And the way in which we take care of our educators and the educatees, our young people, and our children. We've got to have computers. Everybody's got to have a computer. COVID has, just, you know, without computers and technology in your home, it would have just, we've all got to have computers, whether you're rich or poor. By the way, it's time to end poverty. That's going to take something. I'm not saying I have all the answers. But there are people now listening. There are people who are engaged. There are people who want to be engaged. You know what your lane is. Get in your lane. And then some of us need to stay in our lane. <laughs> you know what your contribution, or if you don't know, ask someone around you, what is your contribution? What actions are you going to take? Where are you going to now start to participate where you have it? So what are some of the things we can do for sure? civics and citizenship in school, church, somewhere. We've got to get that in with our young people. Education reform, criminal justice reform. This is not a this is not all linear. Some of this will be nonlinear. We know how to get in our lanes. We have enough colleges, institutions, professors. We have everything we need. We need to get it all connected. We got to get a plan and we got to work that plan. This won't be solved overnight as it was not created overnight. It was brought to light in a moment, in a, in a moment. 
and we can start to steer the ship in the right direction, in a direction that's going to cause healing, that's going to cause freedom, that's going to cause participation. We can end crime. We can, listen, there's not a statistic that we're engaged in that we can't shift. You can shift any statistics, any. We're going to the polls. Political reform. Listen, it's not enough to elect the president, elect the governor, and then go to work in partnership. We've got to now go to work and stop. I don't want to use profanity, but mm -mm, and complaining and get to work and work together and find a, a common ground where we can really get things accomplished. You know, we're going to need to set goals. We've got to do the planning. We've got to do the real thinking, the strategizing, our pastors, our educators, our politicians, the citizens, our young people. Uh, we've got to really come together now and step into what's opened up for all of us and receive uh new ideas from other countries, other leaders. This is, this is our time, America. This is our time. This is our time. I'll just say it like that. This is our time. And what's going to happen from this, as Pastor Mike says, it's going to be big. It's going to be so big. There's something available that none of us saw coming. And the good news is, it's here. Again, my condolences to all the families that have been impacted this year. From George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Aubrey, the families of the past that I want too many to name. And the impact that this has had on you. Well, as Dr. Martin Luther King says... Let's not have it be in vain. Let's go forth as a nation. Let's go forth as a community. And let's go forth as a people and have the world work. God bless you. Thank you for listening.